Welcome to But First People, a podcast by Pride Global that dives into the remarkable diversity of the world of work. I'm your host, Kamala Forbes, and today I have the pleasure of speaking with Diana Marakai Finity, head of U.S. at Specialist Stern. Specialist Stern is a nonprofit organization that empowers individuals with autism and neurodiverse conditions access meaningful employment opportunities. Founded in Denmark in 2004, Specialist Stern has since expanded globally and partnered with companies such as Microsoft, JP Morgan Chase, and SAP to create inclusive workplaces and promote the benefits of hiring individuals on the autism spectrum. Diana oversees the strategic direction, manages partnerships with businesses and organizations, and raises awareness about the unique skills and abilities of individuals on the autism spectrum. Diana has been a featured speaker at conferences and events like the National Autism Conference and Neurodiversity at Work Summit. And her insights on neurodiversity and the work of Specialist Stern have been published in media outlets such as Forbes, Fast Company, and NYBC News. In this episode, we explore ways in which companies can create more inclusive environments for neurodiverse individuals, the importance of recognizing and valuing different types of cognitive diversity, and the benefits they can bring to a team. Diana, excited to have you here. Welcome to the show. Okay, so Diana, as you might know, our signature for But First People podcast is to have our guests kick us off with a song. And I love to sing. I'm like karaoke queen. But um, one of the, the real reason behind it is really to get our guests comfortable, to have you relaxed. Although it might not feel like you're relaxing if you're not really into singing. It's, it's really about getting real and getting raw and getting honest. And so we want to open up and get ready for this episode to just be as authentic and inviting to every, all of our listeners as possible. So with that, what song are you going to sing for us today? I am going to sing Barnyard Dance by Sandra Boyton. All right. Should be a good one. <laughs> I hope so. <laughs> Stomp your feet, clap your hands. Everybody ready for a barnyard dance. Bow to the horse, bow to the cow. Twirl with the pig if you know how. Bounce with the bunny, strut with the duck. Spin with the chickens now, cluck, cluck, cluck. The ba and a moo and a cockadoodle doo. Everybody promenade two by two. Prance with the horses, skitter with the mice, swing with your partner once or twice, stand with the donkey, slide with the sheep, scramble with the little chicks, cheep, 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 with a neigh and a moo and a cock-a-doodle-doo, another little promenade, two by two. Trot with the turkey, leap with the frog, take another spin with the barnyard dog, turn with the cow and a patch of clover, all take a bow and the dance is over. With an oink and a moo and a quack, 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 the dance is done, but we'll be back. Oh, I love that. I got to tell you, you know, I have a seven month baby girl at home. And so I'm listening to a lot of baby Einstein recently. And that sounds like something uh, I would hear. And, you know, we got to get to learning. So, so that was a pretty fun song, Diana. Loved it. Loved it. Thank you. And as we dive right in here, I want to talk about the work that you're now doing with Specialist Stern, which is a global organization that helps businesses to assess autistic and similarly neurodivergent job seekers by designing and implementing more inclusive hiring and management practices to advance workplaces that employ different thinking. But previously, you also taught courses on career development and integrated independence to a population of neurodiverse students. So clearly, you're invested in helping neurodiverse talent. So can you tell us what is your why 
In other words, what inspires you and drives you to do the work that you do every day? The why is actually directly connected to why I chose the song that I did. It brings me back to what will very quickly be 23 years that we'll be celebrating my nephew Paul's birthday. The song is something that I used to sing to him when he was a baby. And uh, it's it's not meant to be a song. It's a, it's just a child's book. But um, much to the dismay of my sister, when it was supposed to be a bedtime story, I would sing it in a very animated fashion and, you know, keep him awake when he should have been going to sleep. But um, Paul is Paul is autistic and um, he is just the love of our lives. And he has been an inspiration to become involved in this. This was not something that I was involved in in my past career. But in these last few years, I was extremely privileged to become a part of something that my sister was involved in, which was a post-secondary program in a local Westchester college, um, because there's not enough that was being done in the education field. If you are autistic, if you are neurodivergent, and you go through a traditional path and you are going for a bachelor's degree, that's fine. But if you are college capable, there are not that many programs out there. So she did something to start a program and he was in there and I had the opportunity to get involved and it changed the trajectory of what I was going to do professionally. And it was the best move I ever made. So am I invested in it for personal reasons? Yes. Am I now invested in it for professional reasons? Absolutely. And I never want to look back because it's been the most rewarding thing ever. Well, that's that's what the key to life is, right? You put your personal and your professional passions together and you feel like you never work a day in your life, they say. <laughs> Absolutely. Well, so key, you mentioned a term in there, uh, neurodivergent. And Neurodiversity, neurodivergent is a fairly new term. Can you explain what it means and maybe what conditions fall under that term? Absolutely. So when we think of diversity, we tend to focus on gender diversity, women in leadership, visible minorities, or racial or ethnic diversity. And these types of diversity are often visible, yet there are many different levels of diversity and many are harder to see. And just as there are many types of diversity, neurodiversity is no different. So we're talking about a concept and an understanding that there is diversity or difference in the way that our brains work and process information. So neurodiversity refers to natural variations in the human brain, including autism, ADHD, dyslexia, dyspraxia, and other neurological conditions such as OCD, Tourette's, and learning disabilities. And each distinction can bring value in a new or different way of thinking, approaching a situation, or solving a problem. So what we do is we cover that entire, it's literally spectrum, and all of these different conditions fall under the umbrella of neurodiversity. Okay, that's great. It's, it's you know, I know people use the term, but it's so great to have that clarification on what it is and, and um, you know, for people to be able to use it uh, correctly. Um, when you think about that, then what, what would you say are some of the common misconceptions about neurodiverse individuals? And, and maybe you could share with us how we could challenge and maybe overcome some of them? Of course. So sadly, there are still so many but instead of focusing on the negative, we highlight the capabilities and competencies of neurodivergent individuals. And we do that through education and awareness because the most effective way 
to MythBust is by providing opportunities for people to ask questions they may not have had the correct information on before. Mm -hmm. um, part of diversity and inclusion, and it's important for employers to recognize the benefits that their organization can realize, is by offering strength-based opportunities for autistic and neurodivergent individuals in all industries. And this means expanding beyond math and technology. And Kamala, I'm sure you're, you've heard of before the traditional STEM roles. And that's what one of those misconceptions is, is that that's the, the bucket that all neurodivergent people fall into. So we want them to branch out and offer opportunities beyond that and accommodations and modifications for all types of positions. But due to repeated portrayals in media, Autistic people are often considered only capable of highly left-brained analytical work and unable to manage jobs with any social interaction or the need for empathy and the tendency to have what is known as a spiky profile. And it's a blaring misconception and one that could not be further from the truth. So neurodivergent people can work in all sorts of fields, hospitality, um, warehouse, education, health services, retail manufacturing, the same way that any neurotypical candidate would be able to apply. It can go beyond anything that is only centered in STEM. So while technology and financial services industries have certainly taken the lead in hiring, training, and retaining neurodivergent employees, we're seeing other sectors raising their heads and their hands to step forward, and we love that. But when it comes to employment enablement, we're greedy. We want more. Mm -hmm. We want more opportunities for more people and new industries and job families so that more misconceptions are going to be overcome and that companies can really recognize the true benefit of inclusion. I love it. And, and one of the quotes that I know that I've heard a lot of is that if you've met one person with autism, for example, then you've met one person with autism. And I think that's just exactly what you have explained. It doesn't matter. You could work in any industry because every individual is different, just like neurotypical individuals are different. We all have different skill sets. You just have to look at an individual as an individual, evaluate their skill set and understand what role they would best be suited for. Absolutely. So then let's talk about Specialist Stern. How can you all help companies explore that qualified and untapped talent pool of neurodiverse talent to be able to fill all of these different positions you just mentioned? <laughs> Oh, well, let's just get started today. Yeah. Just call us. So <laughs> while, while we have um, a talent pool that remains largely untapped, we know firsthand at Specialist Stern that inclusion is good for business and that businesses that hire autistic or neurodivergent talent experience enhanced productivity, performance, stability, innovation, employee retention, customer loyalty, all of those great things that make organizations run more effectively. But in order to tap into those benefits, businesses have to create more inclusive workplaces. Those workplaces have to be more adaptable. They have to be creative and collaborative. And leadership, managers, and teams all need to be open and flexible to tackling a lot of the communication and the policies and practice barriers that really become the, the main obstacle to what is an inclusive workplace. So before we can get to that, we have to really look at what creating that workplace looks like and the adaptations and the adjustments that are made so that supporting one employee becomes supporting all employees. 
And I think historically, so much of those barriers have been, what is the cost going to be? Is it going to be too difficult for all of our employees? How do we tackle this? And instead of stepping back for a second and just saying, where do we get started? How do we, how do we get help to do this? It becomes this monumental challenge and we can't look at it that way. We have to take it not just as a step-by-step, -step. this isn't about baby steps. It's more a point of, it's not altruism. Don't look at this as meeting quotas. Look at it now as how we approach doing something from an exchange of information, building mutual understanding and proactively addressing issues so that we can create a universal design that actually makes sense from an organizational standpoint. And then as a result, you are accessing this incredible talent pool of people that you're not just doing something because, oh, we're doing good. We're actually tapping into this incredible competency set of individuals who are going to be able to improve your overall company. And yes, it's a bottom line issue and it's an effectiveness issue, but it's also now 85% underemployment and unemployment rates that have to be managed in a better way. Yeah, and I love, and I think that just falls exactly into maybe your tagline at Specialist Term, which is employee different thinking. It's really about just thinking about how do we, you know, what, what policies and procedures or what things can we put in place that will benefit, you know, neurodiverse individuals, but ultimately will benefit everybody. And I think that there are certain things, and I know we recently had specialist Stern in that did a disability inclusion training and workshop seminar with our employees, and it was phenomenal. It, I think some of the feedback that we got from a lot of people was it was just so eye-opening to realize that, you know, to your point, you don't have to necessarily invest millions of dollars in changing your whole infrastructure. There are small things that you could do that make a big difference to not only neurodiverse people, but that it's just general that everybody could benefit from. So maybe you could share some of, um, you know, what are maybe some small things that organizations could do to create a more inclusive environment for neurodiverse talent, but ultimately everybody in the workplace? You know, we have, we have legislation through the ADA that aims to eliminate societal barriers, for example, of people with disabilities who continue to face those type of challenges every day. And it obviously includes employment. This is where we focus on. Currently, the neurodiversity prevalence rate is 50, 15 to 20% globally. And I think that the CDC just changed the, the rate of autism in the US. I think it went from one in 44 to maybe one in 36. On a global scale, that reflects 1.8% of the population. So unemployment for neurodivergent adults runs at at least as high as 30 to 40%, which is three times the rate for people with a disability and eight times the rate for people without a disability. And I'm not gonna belabor the point from a data standpoint, but breaking that down, that's where we're looking at that number of an unemployment rate of around 85%. And those with ADHD are 11 times more likely to be unemployed and 61% more likely to lose a job. So my reason for really stressing that is when I say we have to do better as a society and organizationally across the board, partnering, we have to partner with one another. I, I'm such a huge believer in collaboration and in really believing that, you know, I'm not saying that right now, Specialist Stern is the one that's going to do all of this. Organizations like us working together with 
companies that employ large numbers of individuals. We all have to work together from an education standpoint, from an awareness standpoint, and then from actual meaningful employment enablement. We have to create a different level of engagement so that we can break down and knock down that number. So let's get back to the societal barriers. When we think about disability, we need to think about non-apparent or the, the not obvious ones and think about how a person learns, communicates, and processes information, such as autism or a learning disability or ADHD. When we think about accessibility, we need to think about physical spaces, environments, and can consider how some of the invisible barriers may prevent a neurodivergent person from participating fully in their community or their workplace. You know, we walk into an office and, and we just go about doing what we do. Not everyone does that. And the reality is each person over the course of their lifetime may have a change in their circumstance that they become disabled. So if we look at it from that purview, Kamala, our lives can change at the drop of a dime. No one is promised tomorrow will look like it does today. We have to think differently. So Specialist Stern identifies five core types of barriers, physical or architectural, an office may have narrow corridors that can't accommodate a wheelchair, poor lighting for someone with low vision, someone with sensory sensitivities, sounds, smells, are those being taken into account? Information or communications, written information, not in plain language, it's not easy to read, videos that are not captions or do not have transcription, those are requirements. Attitudinal, you asked before, misconceptions, if we make an assumption about something, we shouldn't. You don't know what's going on in someone's life. You don't know what their challenges are, or what they're dealing with. So the attitudes that people have, an autistic employee is less safe on the job. People with autism are less productive. Why would we make that assumption? My ask, if you're gonna assume something, assume competency. Assume that they can do it. Be wrong about that. You're probably not gonna be wrong, but go ahead and make that assumption. Technological, devices, software, technology platforms that are not accessible, a website that doesn't meet accessibility requirements. Microsoft is doing incredible things here. If you're on LinkedIn, you can't throw a rock without seeing Microsoft now, really making a big push to point out how much accessibility they have in all of their features. We have to push for these things to make sure that they are available to everyone so that everyone has the accessibility features they need to be able to engage on a technological level. Policy or practice. This is where things really become very delicate. Most organizations operate in a way with their policies and HR practices that are meant for everyone. It's a catch-all. Everyone must go through a pre-screening and competency tests in the same way, resumes, et cetera. They're not fair. There is an unconscious bias that happens when you assume that everybody can process through that same screening. We have to change that. And that's what we're trying to do. And so many organizations are embracing that and they're understanding that it's not fair for everyone. And some people may rebut that and say, well, life's not fair. We have to make it a little bit more equitable now. So a positive shift in any of those behaviors can change a person's life. A shift in all of them will change the lives of many. And that's the direction that we really want everyone to go in. So that's how we make it more neuroinclusive.
I love it. There's so many great examples. And like you say, you don't have to do all, do some, you know, make an effort and, and the little bits that everybody could do. If we all take a little bit, we'll ultimately get to where we want to be. Exactly. So thank you for such a nice, actionable list of things that people can walk away from and, and implement. And I guess out of like a lot of that that you just mentioned, what would you say are some of the best or most successful neurodiverse inclusive initiatives that you've seen a company implement? We have seen a shift in a number of our client environments, and we refer to our clients as employer partners. As I mentioned before, partnership is so critical because there is an excitement that is very notable because it's not just about hiring. We're, we're not a recruitment firm. We don't come in and just bring people and hire them. And it's about a shift in mindset. So you, you mentioned before, our tagline is employ different thinking. And it, it is that because it's not just about the different thinking, as I mentioned earlier, that, you know, neurodiversity is, you know, minds that think differently. It's about the mind shift of the employers as well. They're thinking differently. They're looking at what the benefits are. It's hiring people who think differently. It's trying a different approach. It's broadening the perspective of what this brings to the organization. People get excited. Something that I like to think about is some of our employer partners are becoming extraordinary in how they embrace neurodiversity inclusion and also in how their teams are becoming a different they're becoming a different environment because they're seeing how excited their hiring managers are becoming and their team leaders are becoming. It, it makes them different in their approach to leadership. In the beginning, you may have had companies that were a little reticent on how this was going to work. Now you have arms that are going up and being raised to say, I have job requisitions I want to fill in this way. And that's the difference. That's the success of these programs because it goes from being a, a standalone program to just part and parcel of how HR works now. And this is included. It's inclusion. I mean, it's the actual definition of the word. It's not a side program anymore. It's front door. And that's where we see the transition. And it's it's really wonderful. We have conversations, and I, I'm, I'm not going to say the names, but we have discussions about how how can we build a talent pool? How can we create a talent pool? And that that's Christmas morning. I mean, that's when this becomes like, you know, this is wonderful. Our goal is to not be needed. Our goal is to be there to answer a phone if there's a, a question about how to tweak a program or how to tweak different practices or what what else can we do? How can we make this bigger? But when you start having discussions like that, that's when you know how exciting this has become now within an environment. And it's it's no longer a, you know, how do we how do we do this? It's how do we now make it even bigger? Yeah, I love it. And like you say, it's just about getting more people on board to do it. And when you start seeing that become the standard way of thinking instead of that kind of maybe niche way of thinking, um, you know, that we're doing the the work is making its impact. Exactly. I think one of the key things is about having allies, right, in this space. Um, can you share some sp specific examples of what someone can do to be an ally? Ask questions. If you work, um, and I'm, I'm 
looking at this specifically from a, a workplace environment, ask your colleagues how to best communicate with them. In a lot of our sessions and in a lot of our workplace environments, what we find so often, which is why education of the the colleagues is really important, you know, often an assumption is made that we're just there to support the new employee. We're there to support the, the colleagues as well because communication is critical. Ask about language. Ask about what preferences are. Ask questions and approach conversations with curiosity and be patient and give time to people on how things are going to be processed. Seek out opportunities to learn about neurodiversity and hear about those perspectives from the individuals with lived experience. It's so easy to just say, well, I read a book. Well, that's great. The book doesn't speak back to you. The book is, you know, there are words on a page. And while no one is ever going to fault you for the effort, there's a person there who is going to be able to answer to your direct questions. No one is going to be offended by that. You know, years ago, I, I, I mentioned at the, at the top of the call, my nephew, 20 plus years ago, there was so little information. There is so much now. Like you, you are able to have dialogue, have the dialogue, get involved in those workplace initiatives. If you are, if you are in one of these organizations that really nurtures these type of relationships about inclusion, support it. Consider being a mentor. If you have the ability to do that, give back in that way. It will make you a better colleague. It will make you a better manager and it will fulfill such a need. And remember that so many disabilities are not, they're not apparent. When we talk about invisible disabilities, you don't know that they're there. So approach relationships with patients again and curiosity and it will make a better workplace for everyone. True allyship is championship. And there's always an opportunity to be that. I love that. True allyship is championship. And and I think, you know, Diana, just to go back to what you just said in terms of everybody is an individual. And so you, while you might read something on the paper, that's not specific to your direct report, to your teammate, to somebody that works in your organization. So how about having that conversation with them directly so that they can tell you what they need specifically? Because it might be different from what somebody else on a page or, you know, reading something on in a blog, that's something different that they need. So I think that's what's really important about speaking directly to the people within your organization and on your teams. Yeah, agreed. Well, we know that there's so much that the progress that's been made, so much more progress that can be made. But I'm excited that there are organizations like Specialist Turn that are there to help support and help us along the journey. And you have been phenomenal over the years, like you say, just kind of tapping into your personal motivation for this. You've made such an impact over the years. But what would you say, Diana, that you want your legacy to be in this space? I want to continue making some type of impact that will cut back that 85% number. I want to continue building programs with the team that I'm very fortunate to be working alongside. And I want to make sure that, <laughs> not to quote a line from this book, but the dance may be over, but we're going to be back and that everyone is invited to the dance because 
there was not an animal that was left out of this story that I was singing. So for anybody that did not have their hands over their ears, everyone should be invited to the dance. Everybody should be included. I love it. I love it. Thank you so much for sharing all of your pearls of wisdom with us, for sharing your personal connection to the space and your journey that you're on and helping to bring us all along. We love that part of the inclusion. I appreciate it. Thank you for letting me be a part of this. Diana, thank you for such a wonderful conversation. And thanks to you, our listeners, for tuning in. If you're interested in learning more about Pride Global, feel free to visit our website at prideglobal.com. If you have any questions or comments for Diana or me, please feel free to email us at butfirstpeople at prideglobal.com. Of course, don't forget to like, share, rate, and subscribe to our podcast. Thank you for listening, and we look forward to having you tune in to our next episode.